0: listening to Rat Race, stories of addiction and recovery with your hosts Jody and AZ. In this episode, we talk about Northern communities and how a tiny bottle of alcohol can run up to $300. Hey Jody. Morning
1: AZ, how you doing today? Morning,
0: Morning. well you know how I'm doing today, I'm a little under the weather but uh, that doesn't stop. A guy like me from recording some audio yeah, on a Sunday morning.
1: You're a trooper, man. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that we're able to, uh, to record a little bit this morning. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, so yeah, thanks for coming out today, Izzy, and I hope you're feeling better soon.
0: I mean, there are no excuses. I, I, I had to get myself out of bed. I'm like, I'm rocking a title. let's take a cold shower and let's make this happen.
1: It's so, uh, I certainly appreciate you taking one for the team and, and showing up today and, and we'll get some, get some audio recorded for our, our listeners.
0: Absolutely. So. You were up uh, in a northern community. Tell me how that gig came about and, and the steps you took to to secure a gig like that. Sure,
1: yeah it uh, it was amazing. I was invited to Bearskin Lake First Nation to speak at their Drug and Alcohol Awareness Week event, and I was invited by a friend of mine, uh, Simon McKee, who is a counselor in Bearskin Lake, and we became friends quite a few years ago when Simon was spending some time here in Thunder Bay, and Simon's been watching. The Howl of the Moon Project and watching what I've been doing with my life and and he reached out to me a couple of months ago and invited me up to Bearskin Lake to speak. I was just really happy for that invitation, and of course, I said yes right away. so yeah, I just got back from uh, Bearskin uh, not too long ago.
0: Was that your first speaking gig?
1: well i've been uh, I've been interviewed by the the media quite a few times with this project, and uh, I've been asked to speak at a couple of local events, smaller events, uh, and I'm always grateful for an opportunity to speak about addiction and also to speak about the Howl of the Moon project. But this is the first major booking. It's certainly the first traveling booking that that I've taken. So it was really exciting to be able to travel uh, north and share a little bit about my story with some people who were interested in learning and hearing. So
0: amazing! So you flew up. Tell me a little bit about when you landed, what the first few hours were like, and what that first day was like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I flew. I would say, and uh, you know, when you're flying on these smaller airlines, uh, the planes are are pretty small that that fly into these remote. Uh, flying communities. So, uh, but I always enjoy that. So uh, yeah, I I flew from Thunder Bay to Sioux Lookout, uh, just a short layover there. And then I was uh, on route to Bearskin Lake First Nation from there. And uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, I touched down in the community and uh, what an amazing experience. It's just a a really, really small community. I think there's only about uh, three or 400 on reserve members that live in that community. But the hospitality was incredible, and uh, Simon took me for a whirlwind tour around the community, and I got to see some of the sights and sounds. Just a fantastic place. The bush is absolutely beautiful up
0: there. The people are are amazing, and uh, the food was, was incredible too. That's amazing. It always helps when one knows someone in the community to be guided, but just spend time with. And um, so this event that took place for Drug and Alcohol Week What other speakers were there? Well, I missed most of the week. The event ran from Monday
1: to Friday, and uh, I flew into the community on Thursday afternoon. So I only got to take in the tail end of the event. But from what I had gathered and talked to some people uh, who were in attendance for the week, it was a very successful event, and they had some really amazing people that shared. Um, I know there was a fashion show, uh, a talent show, some out of town speakers came to talk. There was also a a lady who came in to share some cooking skills, and uh, it was really amazing. Um, myself, I got to uh, to speak on Friday afternoon to uh, some of the students at the local school and uh, talk about uh, addictions, talk about some of the dangers here for young people in Thunder Bay, uh, talk about my recovery, talk about drugs and alcohol in, in general. And uh, of course, there was a, an awesome feast at the end of, of the event, uh, which was amazing too. And I think it was a really successful event. Now, I don't think that this event was just in Bearskin Lake First Nation. I feel like uh, Drug and Alcohol Awareness Week was uh, was celebrated and, uh, and uh, talked about uh, in lots of communities, actually, uh, across Ontario and across the north.
0: Okay. And so at this event, y- you did a talk. What was your audience like and what was your messaging? Yes,
1: I was speaking to mostly younger people, um, although I did get a chance to talk uh, one-on-one with some adults. And I also got a chance to speak on the local radio station in Bearskin Lake First Nation. But primarily, uh, I was taken from classroom to classroom at the school, and I was talking to young people about uh, some of the dangers that come along with drugs and alcohol. Um, they were really really amazing listeners and really receptive to my message. Um, you know, bearskin Lake, like a lot of other flying communities, is a dry community, so the young people are sheltered to an extent from drugs and alcohol, although there's always um, contraband that that ends up getting into the community some way somehow but uh those Northern communities being dry communities, it limits the exposure of people, young people specifically to drugs and alcohol. So it, it was really amazing seeing all these healthy young people and uh, and sharing with them. But what really made me nervous is that I knew that at some point in time that these kids will inevitably come in contact with alcohol and, and eventually drugs too. And the message that I tried to relay was just, you know, don't even start, don't even start because it's just better if, if you can just avoid that altogether. And, and I know that's not realistic for everybody. Some of those kids are going to eventually go on to experiment, but I feel like if we can plant that seed early and, and let the kids know that, you know what, it, it's dangerous. There are um, really terrible things that come along with prolonged drug and alcohol use. And I really tried to let them know too, that uh, sometimes, especially with alcohol, it can seem fun at first. It can seem social at first. And, and that's what I think ropes a lot of young people in. But I tried to use my own story of how alcohol eventually turned on me and led me to some really dark uh, places in my life and, and really started to take things away from me and, and just let them know that maybe that won't happen the day after you start drinking, but inevitably eventually it will lead to that because that's what alcohol and drugs leads to every single time. And Sometimes that takes a few months or a couple of years, but it, it's always the same destination. It's pain, misery, sorrow. And that's what I tried to let the kids know. Um, and I really did encourage
0: them to just not even start. Well, wow. what a proactive approach to messaging when it comes to what alcohol can do to someone. Um, do you, two things. One, I've always been interested in the topic of how does product like booze get up into communities that are dry? And then the other one is what were some questions by kids that stood out for you if there was a Q&A at the end? Yeah, you know, as far as uh, product getting into those communities,
1: sadly, um, as with anything else, money talks, and there are always people willing to take the risk to smuggle drugs and alcohol into those communities, and people are willing to pay top dollar for drugs and alcohol. I do believe that the number that was given to me when I asked, I think I heard that a, a Mickey bottle was going for in upwards of $200 wow. in these Northern communities wow. uh, and a 26 or anywhere up to four or $500, depending on the community that you're in. So there's a lot of money to be made by smuggling alcohol into these communities. Um, I think generally speaking, probably not going to be able to get a whole lot in, you know, via air travel, but uh, in the winter time on the ice roads, uh, you know, you're Sure, you're running a risk, you could get caught, but I think that with prices like that, uh, selling prices like that, people are willing to take that risk, you know, and that's heartbreaking to me because they're just bringing poison into those communities to vulnerable people and uh, it's unfortunate, but there's just no way that you're going to have a 100% prohibition when there's that kind of money to be made. So, and I think the same is probably true with drugs and prescription drugs too. Um uh, Even at the airport, there are signs that I noticed when I first got there. And I've seen that when I've traveled to other remote flying communities too, that there's zero tolerance for anybody bringing drugs and alcohol into the communities. Your luggage is uh, subject to a search by peace officers in the community and band members. And uh, yeah, it'll turn you around if you've got it, if it's found on you. So they're doing their best to keep it out, but it's unrealistic to think that it's all going to be kept out. And Like I said, proof positive is when
0: I was asking around,
1: what's the going rate? It's there. If you want it and you've got the money, you're going to be able to find it.
0: It blows my mind. And what you just shared is similar to my time up in Nunavut. Uh, A lot of these communities are fly-in communities only. And in the winter when the water freezes, that's when you can access one community to the other by, let's say, snowmobile. But the prices are absurd. Like it's the further north one gets, the more it costs, let's say for a Mickey, which is 375 milliliters. I remember in a community up north, it, it was close to like five, $600 just for that, that yeah. one bottle. Yeah. And it, this is the power of addiction though. It's like, yeah, it's coming in from a major city hub south of some of these communities, but people will get it. They'll figure out a way of bringing it in because they know someone that's flying out and coming back in or they're, someone's on a trip and someone's bringing it in. It's, yep. it, it blows my mind. Yep. And then there's the whole cargo as well. Like everyone's got to eat. So there's grocery store presence in a lot of these communities. And so they have planes that come and go. And I'm not saying their security is not adequate or anything, but I mean, it's easy for anyone to throw something in a personal cargo. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like. For a, sure. like packages coming up I, I don't know i think there's probably several ways of getting product into these dry communities oh definitely there are and you know um
1: i've seen pictures of busts in the past where they've confiscated product when you're seeing pictures of you know 30 to 50 bottles of vodka 26 ounce bottles and you know you gotta think like the markup on a bottle like that i don't know what are they selling for now maybe it's like 35 bucks for a 26 or it's been a while since i bought a bottle of liquor but you know, if that bottle's turned around and selling for over 500, uh, you know, in these northern communities, there are people who are absolutely willing to take that risk because that's a huge payday. So, yeah, it's e- unfortunate easy money. But, oh, easy, for sure. Easy for money.
0: Sure. I mean, like, you sell a couple bottles a week. That's some good cash flow coming in. It, it is yeah, for sure. So I can see anyone like being, yeah, like, why do I have to work nine to five when I can just sell a few bottles? Yeah. When you yeah. can be the community bootlegger, right? Yeah. 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 Um, population of 400 people, Uh, four or 500 people is what you said in this community. So any questions or any feedback from your younger audience while you were up there? You know, I tried to get the kids to
1: ask questions and they didn't ask a whole lot of questions, but man, they were really good listeners. Like they were such amazing kids. Um, Most of the kids that I talked to were grade eight and under, so they were actually quite young. So I had to sort of tone down my message a little bit from what I would like to speak about uh, when I speak to adult crowds. Um, I wanted to make sure that uh, that I got the message through to these youngsters, but at the same time, I didn't want to scare them silly, right? So because some of the stories I've shared with you, AZ, like I've seen some pretty crazy things happen while I was working downtown Fort William, lots of overdoses. I've seen gang violence. I've seen these things happen here in Thunder Bay. And these aren't things that I shared in great detail with these kids because I just think they're a little bit too young for some of the graphic detail that comes along with some of the stuff that I'll share for my adult audiences. But they were great listeners. And the message, even though it was a little bit tamed down, it was an important message of the importance of being mindful of the dangers of drugs and alcohol. And these kids were just so amazing. Like they sat there and they listened and uh, they had been participating in this event all week. And uh, you know, so I think that there was a lot of really good information shared over the course of the five days that this event ran, the Monday to Friday. And uh, yeah, these kids were great. And even though they didn't ask a lot of questions, I feel like they were very attentive. And I think that they took a lot out of that week. So I'm really glad that community went ahead and did that event and, and other communities who who also did the Drug and Alcohol Awareness Week event.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think a proactive approach and for kids just to be aware of where to have the conversations and resources to look into and where to look when needed. Um, I feel like telling anyone, regardless of what age group they're in, what stage of addiction they're in saying, don't do it in any messaging alternatives should be offered to any audience. Like what can kids do, an audience of that type do to stay absent from alcohol or not even try it, or maybe they're curious about it they're going to try it. What are some ways to minimize risk so they don't even get to that point of being like, you know what, we're in a dry community, but booze is right here. Let's go ahead and try it. What can you do in a community of 400 people that's geographically isolated? That's a
1: great question, Izzy. And they actually incorporated a lot of events into the week that were not just like people saying, don't do it. Sure, we have those talks, you know, but I think that they also showed the kids like some really um, positive ways to live their lives. There were some really good. Life skills being taught that week too. Like they brought this amazing red seal chef up, who was teaching them how to um, cook. And then they had land based activities all week too. Like I know the kids went out a couple times on a partridge hunt. They also had some cultural things going on. So I think that the week it wasn't just speaker after speaker coming in saying drugs are bad, drugs are bad, drugs are bad. You know, I mean, there were a few of us who who did that, but I think that they also balanced it out with, you know what, Here are some really healthy alternatives. Here are some things that, that are going to really help you to live a healthy, good life. Let us teach you about cooking. Let us teach you about going out on the land. Let's go hunt some partridges and then we're going to prepare them and cook them and eat them. Um, so these things were happening. And I think they really balanced out the week, right? Because it wasn't just like drugs are bad. It was really a balance of, yeah, drugs are bad for sure. And here are some healthy ways to live a positive life, a healthy lifestyle, which is exactly what everybody wants for these kids. Because Especially in communities like this too, we need to consider that these kids are really prone to intergenerational trauma, right? It's, it's really important that they get healthy teachings along the way to help to keep them healthy. And I could see just how happy and healthy these kids were at this age, grade eight and under, like these kids were all smiles. They were doing real well. They were absolutely loved. I mean, their families love them, right? And and I think that they're trying to really break that cycle of addiction and, and teach Good healthy living habits, teach culture, teach language, teach land based activities to give these kids the best chance of success uh, that they can possibly have at life.
0: Amazing. You mentioned generational trauma. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, I have ideas, but every community is different. Every household is different in a sense that some of these kids might go home to like really toxic things. And I don't know what that looks like. It could be because the people in the household, the adults may not have worked on that intergenerational trauma, and it could be being passed down to kids. What are some things in messaging for kids that go home to toxic households, or where would they seek resources or answers to questions around alcohol consumption and addiction if they had any? That's a tough question, and I'm
1: not really able to answer that in a good way because that's not my area of expertise. I mean, certainly intergenerational trauma is a real thing as a result of the atrocities that happened to our Anishinaabek brothers and sisters with the residual effects of the residential schools. That trauma is intergenerational and it's passed down. A lot of people are are taking it upon themselves to break that cycle of of addiction and to work on, on themselves and heal themselves so they can be healthy parents for their kids and give their kids the best chance at success. But, you know, it's hard to know what, what who's healed and who's not. So it's tough to say. Maybe some of these kids do go home to toxic environments. That's possible. I think the best thing the community can do is just have access to resources outside of the home too and try and encourage the parents to heal from their traumas. Um, I know that there's like a Choose Life program in Bearskin Lake. And I think that program runs in a lot of Northern communities and, it, and it's uh, for youth um, and it's land-based. And uh, it... it, it Culturally based as well, and uh, I think that when communities offer those sorts of resources, that's a great start. It just gives the kids uh, outlets and places to go to to learn healthy coping mechanisms, healthy skills, reconnect with their culture, reconnect with the land. And I think that a lot of communities and and their leaders are, are taking it upon themselves to make sure that those programs are in place within the community. You know, it's it's hard to to see what goes on behind closed doors, and probably some of these kids do have parents who are unhealed. Um, and probably some of these kids do have parents who who are healed and are working on themselves. It's probably a combination of both. But I think the community leadership stepping up and providing programming and providing resources within that community for people is is a big part of that solution.
0: Thank you for that. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Neither of us have the complex answer to that. It, we we only see what's in front of us in in public settings. And I think like you said, just showing an abundance of alternatives and ways to move forward strong for these kids is what you saw when you were up there. Reconnecting to the land, alternative programs, um, and just being in social circles that are healthy and having these discussions that maybe didn't even take place five years ago or 10 years ago. That's right. And I think the power of that is just so proactive. We have this saying called the rat race. Once you're in it, like, okay, how do you get out of it? You can get out of it and then you can stay out of it. But it's almost like, well, by speaking to these kids, it's more of a proactive approach being like, hey, you know, not everyone's going to be an alcoholic, but there's chances that people don't like giving it up. And there's this cycle that people may not get out of. And bringing the messaging like you did up there. And speaking to kids, it's just increasing awareness and maybe kids are like, you know, let's not even get into it. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Like maybe we can keep some of these kids from even uh, trying it out, you know, from even just keep them out of that rat race right from the get-go. That would be the ultimate goal, Um, you know, because it's hard. Like in addition to the intergenerational trauma that our friends are are dealing with, there's also a ton of peer pressure for all young people, not just Anishinaabek young people. There's that peer pressure in society that, uh, you know, you got to drink to have fun. You got to drink to be social. And these young ones are going to run into that at some point in time too. And that's exactly the message that I was trying to to, to get through to these guys was it's okay to say no. Drugs and alcohol are going to lead you to a bad place. And uh, it's better if you just don't start at all. But also reiterating the message that, you know what, if you do dabble and you do get involved, like it's not hopeless, you can also still get out and live a good life. But why not skip all that heartache and just not even start in the first place? And that starts with parents setting that healthy example, right? When parents, our our kids are watching us. So when we choose to live a sober lifestyle or we heal ourselves from our past traumas and our addictions, we're able to be good role models for our kids. And our kids are watching us. And there's a good chance that maybe they're going to learn the same healthy habits that we've adopted into our lives as recovering or recovered addicts and alcoholics. Um, but the opposite is also true. If our kids see us drinking and using um, and that becomes normalized, there's a good chance that they're probably going to follow suit and do that too. So I think that it's really the onus is on the parents too and, and the aunts and the uncles and, and adults in general to to set that good example and show kids that let's shake the stigma of normalizing drinking and, and drugging. It, it's not normal and it's not healthy
0: and let's show them and lead by example. That's what I think is important. And Jody, a lot of these discussions at times happen one-on-one with like professionals or in treatment facilities or behind closed doors is the way I like to put it. Because, you know, there was a big negativity around messaging around all of this when I was growing up and especially when I was consuming alcohol. But when I went and seeked help, there was always good decent help available behind closed doors. Bringing it to a public discussion, like visiting up north, or even discussing this and bringing awareness over the audio, is another way that people can tune in and listen to messaging whenever. It's not kept hush under a structure, if that makes any sense. It does. It's not just uh, at treatment
1: centers or in uh... You know, recovery spaces, we're, we're trying to put this message out in the open for people to hear. And that's why I'm really excited about this podcast because we're going to have candid conversations about addiction. We're going to have candid conversations about recovery. And you and I are recovering out loud. And I encourage my other friends who are in recovery to recover out loud as well. Like share with the world. I'm living my best life, bro. And so are you. And I think that when we have these discussions out in the open and we start to normalize healthy living, sober living, I- I'm hoping that we're leading by example and we're setting that example for people, young people, older people, people who are still using, you know? So I think that this format that we have here is just amazing. There's actually a lot of us and it's like normalizing healthy, sober living instead of normalizing drinking and drugging. That's not normal. And I don't think that's how we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to live drinking and drugging every day and looking for our next fix and Going out on Friday night and kicking back 15 beer, that's not normal. Like to me, that's really unhealthy and, and abnormal. You know, the, what we're doing, having real friendships and relationships and building real genuine bonds and trying to be good leaders and good role models in our community, that's healthy. And I agree with you. I think bringing the discussion out into open forums like this is a big part of it, but I'm sure as hell happy that I'm not there anymore. And I'm really grateful for my sobriety every single day. I'm grateful to be sitting here at this table with you, drinking coffee, sober on a Sunday morning recording. We're living our best lives, man. And that's what I want others to do too.
0: I'm, I'm totally with you. A- anything else you want to talk about that, that happened up North while you were up there? Well, I think we already touched on it, but I I just want to say
1: again, like how beautiful it was to see like the proactive approach to healing and sobriety, right? Like when I took a step back and I just watched kind of some of the things that were going on, like when I watched the kids um, prepping to get on the snowmobiles and head out on a partridge hunt, for example, it just made me real happy. Those are just awesome activities that are happening in these communities. And that's great leadership. We're taking the initiative to show these kids a healthy way of life. Uh, A good way of life, an honest way of life, and uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people and a lot of leadership working together to make positive change in these communities. And Bearskins doing a great job, and I know they're working on their Choose Life uh, program, like I said, and uh, it's just amazing to see that proactive approach. And they're they're not giving up on their young people, and they want their young people to have a good life moving forward. And they were so receptive to people coming into the community to help out and share a message. To the hospitality that I received while I was there was just unreal, and. Um, I, I'm really grateful for that. And I'd love to travel to some more of these uh, remote flying communities and share this message. Um, yeah, it's been a great week and uh, a great week of traveling. And I'm glad to be back here at Health the Moon and uh, glad to be back sitting here at this table.
0: Sounds good, Jody. Uh, and thanks for sharing your experience up there. Yeah, great. Thanks a lot, Izzy. You're welcome. Okay. As a reminder, episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, or ratracepodcast.com. Please feel free to leave us a review or follow, subscribe to continue joining us on our journey. Thank you so much for listening and bye for now.